you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a J.C. softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, J.C. softball team. As long as, you know... Uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, the the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know that crap like that. You know all this stuff that's contaminated America, where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring little league anymore. Is we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now that's all. Sorry, second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? Turn that damn fuel box Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast, a solo edition of the show. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, normally joined by my cousin Shane, but the big Tennessee homer, big news in his house. Cousin Shane got a PlayStation 5. We may never see the man again. I kid, but uh, no, that really did happen. He's got a PS5. I cannot get a hold of him. So he's probably done for the week. I'm just being honest with you guys. (laughs) I couldn't uh, not do this one. We got so much news. Like I kind of teased it on the last one. Got a lot of stuff around the SEC that uh, Pruitt News really threw us for a loop. So we had to hop on here. Went a little vol crazy on that one. We are going to start there. We've got a terrific guest lined up, Jesse Simonton. Most know him formerly as uh, VolQuest. He worked the Tennessee Beat with uh, Brent Hubs and that team over there. And he's worked for the SEC Country, Miami Herald. Really good stuff from Jesse Simonton. So just want to say thanks to him for joining the show. We'll get to that here in a bit. But uh, hey, before we go around the SEC, Dan Patrick... Trying to set the world on fire here. Tennessee used to be known as Five Star Hearts. Now they're just a damn McDonald's joke. Happy Meal handout here. Let's kick it over to Dan Patrick, who makes some, you know, very bold claims that uh, probably not even true, but Tennessee fans are certainly never going to live this down. All right, here's some information I have on uh, ten- Tennessee Volunteers with uh, Jeremy Pruitt got fired and Phil Fulmer, the athletic director. I said they were going to go after him as well from my source. He decided to retire. And uh, whoever goes in has uh, got some hurdles probably with the NCAA that they're going to have to navigate. The uh, people who are going to make this pick, this choice for the next head coach, the Haslam brothers, Peyton Manning, uh, is going to be involved in it, reportedly going to be involved in it. And I was told that, uh, you know, there's a few things that are going on here. And I, I asked my source, I said, how did they – get these assistant coaches on recruiting violations. And he said, well, 
they put money into McDonald's bags and gave them to the recruits when they came on campus. Some of the, you know, the, the campus visits uh, were not organized or they were not above board, but they were handing out cash. I don't know if it was through the drive-thru. That's a happy meal. So you, you literally had bag men, and they, were, they put the cash in McDonald's bags and handed it to the recruits. My source said they were so in your face with this. They weren't even trying to hide it. And that's where my source said, Tennessee got sloppy. Georgia has gotten sloppy, but there's been no word on the NCAA looking at Georgia. But Tennessee, they got sloppy, and they were handing out cash in McDonald's bags. All right, so there you have it. He also kind of rambled on about uh, Jason Witten being a name to watch for the head coaching vacancy. But, you know, I think that kind of goes to show... (laughs) Hey, I got a lot of respect for Dan Patrick. He's he's crushing it. His radio show is one of the best out there. I'm sure he's making a killing. But uh, these kind of comments, you know, he's putting this out there for a reason. Putting it on a little clip on his uh, Twitter feed to go out there, go viral. And that's exactly what happened. Now, I'm hearing behind the scenes that none of this is true. Doesn't matter. It's already out there. We've seen a number of uh, Tennessee players and recruits. All come out here, say, no chance this is happening. Of course, what else are they going to say? I guess they're not going to admit it. You could make that argument. But, uh, you know, even our guest coming up here, Jesse Simonton, kind of mocks this take as well. So, I don't know. Read into that what you will. But, uh, of course, there's no chance we were not going to include that clip. I mean, it was so, again, like I said, this is the new five-star hearts. Tennessee, McDonald's, I'm already seeing the Golden Arches, Tennessee, Running through the T. No, they're rolling, running through the golden arches now. They're on Rocky Top. My God, it's just one embarrassment after another for the Tennessee Vols. But hey, before uh, Shane starts crying as he plays his PlayStation 5, we got a ton of news to get to. Let's go around the league. Now let's go now around let's the go league. Around. My, my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, We should mix those games up and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, wanted to start here in Tuscaloosa, defending national champions. Roll time! Just want to give a little update here. A lot of moving and shaking in Tuscaloosa. And now this is obviously not the first time we've seen this. But once again, after an Alabama national championship, teams getting raided with players leaving for the NFL, departures from the coaching staff. Again, we, you know, this is um, almost a, an annual occurrence down there in Tuscaloosa. It's never killed them. I'm, I'm over saying this is going to really hurt him too bad, but uh, let's give a little rundown here. Obviously, we all know Steve Sarkeesian off to Texas, the offensive coordinator, the Broyles award-winning 
winner this season, given to the nation's best assistant coach. He's off to Texas, but he's not alone. He's taken offensive line coach Kyle Flood, Jeff Banks, tight ends and special teams coach, also headed to Texas with Sarkeesian. So those are two key assistants. We all know, uh, you know, Alabama just had the Joe Moore Award winner. Oh, they won every award, so I guess you could just say you point at the position group. They basically won the award for it. The offensive line, they won the offensive line award, and the offensive line coach is gone. So that could hurt them a little bit. Again, it's, this is Alabama. It's not going to derail them. Jeff Banks is a hell of a recruiter. Mind the state of Texas for Alabama. That's That could potentially be a blow down the road, but uh, that's not all. Running backs coach, associate head coach Charles Huff, has left to take over the Marshall head coaching position. I think this is the one I wanted to point out. I think this is the one that potentially hurts Alabama the most. Charles Huff, is a, he's a young and upcoming guy, but he's got a ton of respect around the nation, a lot of coaching circles. This is a, a guy many people point to as, you know, he's got a huge, huge future. So very interested to see what he can do at Marshall. They hired him off of uh, Mississippi State's staff. He worked with uh, Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State and previously at Penn State. He worked under James Franklin there and at Vanderbilt. So this guy's got a lot of ties to SEC and, and you know notable SEC coaches here. So look for Charles Huff to do big things in the future. And Charlie Strong, I know he was just an analyst, but he's left as well to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Then we kick it down to the players. You know, we all know there's uh, Alabama loses more talent than anybody, but hell, they sign more than anybody too, so it's not going to kill them. But Mac Jones officially declares for the NFL draft. Jalen Waddell, Patrick Sertan Jr., Christian Barmore, and Dylan Moses was already a senior, but uh, he had the option of returning. He's going off to the NFL draft. And of those guys, Mac Jones, Jalen Waddell, Patrick Sertan, Dylan Moses, the one I think hurts him the most, the guy I didn't reference, twice Christian Barmore the defensive lineman he had really started to come on you saw him make a ton of plays down the stretch for Alabama's defense you know that was uh the side of the ball that uh I don't want to say let them down because Alabama may have just put together the most impressive season of all time so there's really no blemishes on their record but the defense certainly not uh up to standard there from Nick Saban's track record at Alabama and I think they lost a key piece that uh, really could have maybe turned the ship around uh, next season and made that a dominant unit. Of course, they're loaded. They're absolutely loaded. So I'm kind of picking apart here just the the minor issues there, if you even want to call it an issue. We all know Alabama's going to be loaded, but there's one guy on this list that I think Alabama would want back more than any other. I know Jalen Waddle. You know, most people probably look at him, Mac Jones, but I just think they got so many other guys that those quarterback and receiver position ready to step up that uh, I really would have liked to see Christian Barmore for Alabama's defense next season. All right, let's skip it on down to Athens. We've got some coaching news with the Bulldogs. They dodged a bullet here, in my opinion. Dan Lanning, defensive coordinator pursued by Sarkeesian. Hell, who isn't he trying to rate at this point? But uh, Steve Sarkeesian went after Dan Lanning, who I think is in the top three or four defensive coordinators in the SEC. Maybe, hell, you could probably put him in the top three or four in the nation just by saying that. So Dan Lanning pursued by Texas. I know Georgia fans disappointed with how the defense turned out this year. 
A lot of that had to do with injuries, but you know, not making excuses for the guy. They didn't perform up to the standard. I think next year that could be back to form. Big question mark for the Bulldogs, though, will be the cornerback position. Everywhere else, they should be pretty loaded on the defensive side of the ball. And speaking of corners, you know, now they got Kirby Smarts does have an opening on his staff, not due to Dan Landing leaving, thankfully, but uh, defensive backs coach Charlton Warren is a really good coach. They stole him away from Florida. He was previously at Tennessee, and I believe Tennessee got him from the Air Force Academy where he was uh, he played and coached at the Air Force Academy. But Charlton Warren off to be the new defensive coordinator at Indiana. And again, Georgia's defense, particularly the defensive backs, maybe you could say, didn't really live up to the hype this season. Already seen some Bulldog fans. Don't really care that Charlton Warren's gone, but uh, he's a really good coach, really good recruiter, really good man. So, you know, I think that's a loss. But again, we're talking Kirby Smart, defensive coach with uh, specialization in the in the secondary played in the secondary, obviously, at Georgia. So there's going to be a long list of candidates eager to come work for Kirby Smart because they know the talent they get down there and and just kind of learn that uh, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Dan Lanning defense. So uh, I'm sure they're going to get an attractive candidate to come down there, but just wanted to make that note to where Georgia has lost a coach this offseason. All right, let's skip it on down to Columbia, South Carolina. Moving and shaking here when Shane Beamer's first staff continues because uh, they have lost director of player personnel, Drew Hughes. My God, every team we're doing an update here is basically a Sarkeesian update. He's headed to Texas. <laughs> Drew Hughes, formerly of Tennessee. they uh, South Carolina stole him away from Tennessee, and before that he was at Florida. Huge must-champ guy, so no surprise here. I think this is a loss for South Carolina. Drew Hughes was basically his role in the director of player personnel was to evaluate recruits and kind of identify along, you know, all these programs. It's not like there's just one guy doing it. So it's not like uh, South Carolina's, you know, without a recruiting team now, but his role was basically the senior of all the recruiting analysts, if you want to call them that, at South Carolina. You run a, you find a guy, you run it by Drew Hughes. If uh, you know he passed the Drew Hughes test, then they give it to the coaching staff because I know they got ten guys on staff and a head coach, but they just don't have the time to be looking through thousands and thousands of prospects each year. So, you know, this is a guy very well plugged into what South Carolina was trying to accomplish, and the guys they were making inroads in in the uh, 2022 class and 23, 24. Hell, they even go to middle school nowadays at the major power five level. So this sets you back a little bit, but you know, this may be, I don't want to say good timing because we do have the uh, traditional national signing day coming up here in a couple weeks. So maybe this hurts South Carolina in a little bit, but the reality is Drew Hughes didn't work much for uh, Shane Beamer. So, you know, there's not that rapport loss. There's not, you know, Drew Hughes probably got a real good feel for the guys must champ wanted, but who the hell cares that, about that at this point you know there's Shane Beamer's got his own guys he's trying to go after so you know maybe in the end this turns out to be a good move because he gets to hire a guy that he knows he's worked with he trusts that knows the blueprint of what a Shane Beamer guy is but hey the news isn't all bad by any means for the South Carolina Gamecocks because they've hired a defensive line coach Jimmy Lindsay 
who this is a, a South Carolina native who worked for Lovey Smith last season at Illinois. And prior to that, he worked at Western Kentucky with uh, the new defensive coordinator, Charlton White. So here we got a guy that uh, White is for obviously familiar with, worked with him a number of years. He's produced the uh, 2019 Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year, D'Angelo Malone, who had 99 tackles, 11 and a half sacks, 16 quarterback hurry. So Coach Lindsey knows how to develop defensive linemen. I think this is a good gift for South Carolina. Not a, a guy with a ton of Power 5 experience. Like I said, he gave the, the one year at Illinois, multiple years at Western Carolina, and he knows the South Carolina area. So this is kind of more of the feel of Shane Beamer staff wanting to hire guys that uh, know the state, have a feel for it, the high school coaches in that area. So interesting hire by Shane Beamer, but I think one that makes a lot of sense and kind of last thing you want to do is hire a coordinator and a defensive line coach that don't see eye to eye. So this is potentially a really good uh, fit here. And Shane Beamer also dropping some knowledge here. He had a, a press conference on Tuesday. We had someone reach out to us. One of the listeners wanted to know thoughts on uh, the offensive line coach with Shane Beamer. He asked us, but Shane Beamer is a way better person to ask about that. So uh, Beamer dropped some knowledge on what he's looking for in an offensive line coach. And then he reveals some information here on uh, South Carolina's upcoming spring football. And, uh, you know, I'll give my thoughts on the back end, but uh, he's making a really good move here, I think, in his first time running the South Carolina spring football practice. You talk about the off-season program starting. Do we know much about spring football dates? Do we even know if we're going to have one yet? And then spring uh, spring practice. I'm I'm playing proceed in full speed ahead with spring practice like normal until somebody tells me otherwise. And all my conversations have been that we're full speed ahead right now. We're tentatively started or scheduled to start spring practice on March 20th uh, is our tentative start date. Uh, if I'm hopeful that we'll be able to have a spring game and, and get everybody over in Williams-Brice for that. If so, that, that would be scheduled for April 24th uh, tentatively right now. But right now, I do know that we're planning on March 20th. It's that typical starting time. I thought it was important for us to maximize the time in the weight room with Coach Day before spring practice, the time uh, that offensive, defensive, and special team staffs have to implement their systems and figure out what our plan of attack is going forward, uh, OD and special teams. So that gives us roughly nine weeks uh, starting this week to get stuff done in the weight room and, and get organized from that standpoint before we hit the practice field in March. I guess you've mentioned now the offensive line position. Just where are you in that process finding guy? And, and what are some of the qualities you and Marcus are really looking for when you sit down to interview candidates? Yeah, um, obviously X's and O's knowledge and being able to fit in with not just Marcus, but that entire offensive staff room. I mean, every time I uh, every time I go back in that staff room, the the vibe, the connection in there, it's it's really really good. They're getting a lot of work done, but they it's a great group of guys in there, and they certainly have a lot of fun in there as they've been plowing through recruiting video and talking scheme and things like that. So you got to get a guy that is going to fit in with that room. But then more importantly, it's, it's um, that person has to connect with the offensive coordinator. I mean, it's a critical hire, whether I was at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley and Bill Biedenboe or when I was at Georgia with Jim Chaney and Sam Pittman, who had worked together at, at Tennessee and Arkansas before. I mean, those guys got to be able to 
speak the same language, be on the same page, uh, connect. So we're, uh, that's one thing that obviously is first and foremost important. And then you got to be like all the other positions, a great person and fit in with the players in this building and the staff in this building and the group that we're putting together. Um, it's a really good group of offensive linemen that, that certainly need somebody to come in here and continue to elevate them and lift them up uh, on and off the field. So looking for a guy like that that can make these guys better players on the field and then certainly uh, help create the bond that those guys need on and off the field as well. And we're working through it. There's certainly some guys that uh, Marcus has been around during his career that that we've talked about. There's people that I've been around and in my career that we've talked about and and we've had some really good conversations and and I think we're close on that again like every other position there's no uh, lack of interest in the position as well they see that we've got the majority of the offensive line coming back they see a 1,000 yard rusher with Marshawn Lloyd sitting out last season Uh, there's a lot to like about our offense if you're an offensive line coach out there across the country not to mention coaching at a great place like South Carolina so a lot of interest is just trying to find the right fit for for what we're looking for on and off the field all right so there you have it spring football projected to be around March 20th with uh, the spring game April I believe you said 24th there so here's the thing though South Carolina it seems like they've always had an early spring camp maybe that just goes back to Muschamp I I honestly can't recall when uh, Steve Spurrier would run his, but you know Beamer makes a lot of good points here. We got we got to get everybody on the same page, rowing in the same direction before we roll out for spring practice because you want to get to work. Obviously, uh, you know there's pros and cons to starting late and early. Last year, I think it worked out. Obviously, didn't prove much uh, help on the field, but. You know, with the COVID and all that, South Carolina was one of the few teams, along with Vanderbilt, that got in a lot of spring practice before things had to be shut down. So there's pros and cons to it. You know, another potential con of this is, you know, we hate to see it happen. Hopefully no one gets injured, but reality is guys are going to get hurt in spring. And if it's a serious deal, you know, you push this back, you jeopardize players' you know, status for the fall potentially. But again, let's hope that doesn't happen. We got, but we got our new strength staff, new defense, offense, special teams. Everything's new. A lot of turnover on the staff. Excuse me, a lot of turnover on the roster. So, all in all, I think this is a outstanding decision by Shane Beamer. Push this thing back. Really, no need to risk this thing. And I think this is a good sign for South Carolina heading into next season. All right, well, let's kick it on down next to old Baton Rouge. Go Tigers. <laughs> Man, we had a, a gem of a comment here from uh, LSU's new offensive coordinator, Jake Peets. I just thought this was great. Yeah, yeah, he had a, a presser. This was uh, late last week, I believe. And he was asked about, uh, you know, what he wants and envisions his LSU offense to look like. Of course, everybody jumps immediately to Joe Brady because of his connection there. Worked with Joe Brady at the Carolina Panthers. Jake Peets talks about that. But uh, the money quote here is uh, – just him talking about how, you know, he's not going to feel any kind of pressure calling a play on fourth down because uh, nothing compares to six kids in a bathtub. Most of us have a, a basic understanding of the spread concepts, but there's certainly different flavors to it. How would you describe what you guys uh, favor, would like to try to implement, and, you know, some things that we've seen with the Saints and, and you know, their offensive attack versus what we see in the SEC with the need for a balanced, you know, running game 
Sure. Well, uh, how do you how do you marry those two? That's a great uh, question, Michael. What do you want to see? What I want to see is our players in the best position to make plays. What are they great at? And that's something we've been spending a lot of time with, with our staff, is going over what schemes fit our players. What's the best way for us to run the ball? What's the best way for attack? Because that's what we want to do. We want to aggressively attack the defense at all fronts. And we want to play the game the way we want to play the game. But we need to know ourselves first. We've got to understand what our players do great and what they don't do. And we obviously want to play to their strengths. So. What we are doing in this system, uh, like the spread system, is we want to define what things our players do at a very high level, and we want to amplify that. We want to adjust it, keep changing it so people can't set their watch to what we're doing and how we're doing it, and we want to involve everybody. And like a question got asked to Coach Ogeron about the running back, and so I'll just go ahead and talk about that in case you guys want to know. Like if our best personnel grouping has multiple backs on the field, let's do it. We have great playmakers here. And that's our job as coaches, and that's my responsibility as the offensive coordinator to make sure that those young men are prepared and that they're on the field to attack the defense. And whatever that looks like, something that we did in Carolina with Joe, we went five wides, we've had two backs on the field, no tight ends, we can run multiple tight end sets. We want this to be an exciting place for our players first. Those are the most important people, the organization, the people that we have here. But then also as we recruit the best players in the country to know that you come here, that we will find a way to get you on the field, we'll prepare you, get you on the field to play with confidence and attack. Whoever we got, the best players we got, you're going to see them on the field. It was a difficult decision. I love working for Matt Rule. You know, Mr. David Tepper is an outstanding owner with the Carolina Panthers. And I love working for Joe Brady there. My wife and kids, we love it in Charlotte. We would not have left if it wasn't a unique opportunity here. And Coach Ogeron coached uh, one of my wife's brothers, actually, at Ole Miss. And so when it first got brought up, I don't know, maybe a week ago, when my days are running together, but I brought it up to my wife. You know, we're, we're a team. My, my, my wife, I'll tell you what, when you're raising six kids, it's the most competitive team sport there is. And if you guys can manufacture a situation that's more hairy than bath time with six kids, I think we'll be able to handle fourth and goal. All right. All right, so great stuff there from uh, Jake Pete. And, you know, he can't really give too much information on what he wants the offense to be. I think that's the right answer because he doesn't know the personnel. And he's just being frank and honest. And that's something they'll probably work out in the spring. And once they have a better feel for that, they'll have a better plan going into training camp. But, uh, you know, I, I appreciated these comments from Pete. Now the big question in Baton Rouge is who's going to be the defensive coordinator. And my goodness, we thought we were getting close to this is a name that I mentioned on this podcast a while back. Saints defensive line coach Ryan Nielsen, that was going to be the guy. According to Jane Slater of the NFL Network, LSU about locked this thing up. And then all of a sudden, it turns out that uh, old Nielsen, I guess he's got some claws in his contract. He cannot leave for a college position. I've never heard of this before. I mean, a defensive line coach taking a defensive coordinator position, that's a massive promotion. I don't know why the Saints would block this thing outside of, Obviously, the contract dealings there. And, uh, you know, here's what Coach O had to say about it. He was asked about it Tuesday morning on ESPN 104.5 FM program out of Baton Rouge off the bench. Uh, based on what Coach O had to say here, it sounds like he thought this was going to be a done deal. Well, he didn't call it a done deal, but it certainly sounded like he thought it was going to get done. Uh, but but there's some reports that Ryan Nielsen's maybe in line to be that LSU defensive coordinator. 
Uh, what's the latest on that situation? You know, we're still working on it. Uh, he's a primary candidate. Obviously, love Ryan. Uh, Ryan's a bright, young, energetic coach. Come to us, highly recommended. But there's still some things to work out to see if he can come uh, to LSU, and those things are not final yet. Coach, I'll never forget one of the toughest camps I've ever uh, gone to back at Ole Miss in 2006. <laughs> Coach Nielsen was there, right? I mean, I, I remember, yeah. I think I was like 16 years old, and he was teaching me pass rush technique. So this is uh, this is a potential uh, re- reuniting here. Yeah, obviously, you know, I coached Ryan in uh, college at USC. Outstanding player and uh, outstanding young man. He decided to coach, and then he started volunteer coaching with us at uh, USC with me and Coach Carroll. Uh, then went to Idaho, and then came to us and uh, became my full-time defensive line coach and then took off. You know, at North Carolina State, he had four guys that he recruited that were drafted. I think a couple of were first-round picks. Yep. And has done a tremendous job with the Saints. Uh, he comes with us with raised reviews. But again, the deal is not done yet. All right, so as LSU fans are well aware, you know, things didn't work out with Marcus Freeman. He's the new Notre Dame defensive coordinator. Now... Nielsen's not going to work out there. Now we got to go to play and see. So this is getting, uh, I don't want to say hairy because, you know, it's all about getting the right fit, but we're getting down into the options here. I guess, uh, hell, I think Bo, he says Bo Pelini was option number one. I don't know if that was true or not, but that, obviously that didn't work out. And uh, last time I checked, Coach O wasn't option number one either. And we all know what happened in 2019. So your first option, second option, maybe your third option is the right option for Coach O. But so here we go with the carousel. Just kind of keep spinning down there. And I know fans are dying to find out who the defensive coordinator is going to be. And you, you would have thought that, uh, you know, maybe they worked this Nielsen contract thing out before they got down this road. But uh, but here we are. But hey, the, the news isn't all bad. Last thing I wanted to, to hit at here with uh, LSU, Dare Rosenthal, starting defensive, excuse me, starting offensive tackle, announced he will return for 2021. And here's why that's such huge news. LSU returning the entire offense and defensive line next season. And how about this? 20 of 22 starters. You know, when you open your Athlon Sports magazine next fall and you see 20 of 22 starters, you're going to see a lot of people jumping on that LSU bandwagon. So, hell, we it's probably more important we see who the uh, coordinator is here, but uh, that's a ton of players returning. You know, we got to be careful. We got to be careful getting two on the hype train because we saw maybe, let's hope it was just Bo Pelini being a god-awful coach, but... 20 of 22 starters overall. The only two players not returning that started last year to end the season safety, Jacoby Stevens, linebacker Jabril Cox. Two really good players on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, everybody's going to be hopping on this LSU bandwagon when they see that. And, hey, pretty soon we're going to see the over-unders released for uh, these SEC football programs. You may want to bet on that LSU before people kind of catch on to what's happening down there in Baton Rouge. All right, let's skip it old damn to Nashville. Take it down. Where it looks like Clark Lee, you know, it's taken him some while. He's not hired his coordinators. We found out why here on Tuesday because they're expected to announce a hiring of a defensive coordinator. Really like this hire, Jesse Minter. Who's that? 
the Baltimore Ravens defensive backs coach. So that kind of adds up for any Commodore fans wondering why in the hell they haven't been made a uh, coordinator hire. Obviously waiting for the NFL season, at least the Baltimore Ravens season to end. They just lost to the Buffalo Bills over the weekend in the playoffs. So now Minter free to pursue the pursue this job and uh, he's got plenty of college experience a defensive coordinator previously at Georgia State and Indiana State he's worked for Cincinnati Notre Dame and in 2019 three of his defensive backs three of the four went to the Pro Bowl we all know Baltimore yes Lamar Jackson and and all the highlights that he has but uh, you know Baltimore's long prided itself on its defense so I think this could be a really good hire here for Clark Lee's Vanderbilt program. They're doing it kind of the slow, methodical way. It certainly looks like not necessarily going out and trying to get the big, splashy hires, but getting the right fit to run this defense here at Vanderbilt. And I, this is one team that uh, really got my eye on, where I think we're making huge strides and we're going in the right direction finally after so many years of uh, the Derek Mason era. We're going in the right direction here in Nashville. All right, let's kick it on down next to Lexington. Big news for the Wildcats here. This is uh, you know, a team I've been hyping up. I already got people. <laughs> they when I put out those SEC predictions and had Kentucky number two in the East. Man, people were fired up. But maybe here's here's a piece why I thought this would happen. This was played into my decision a little bit here. But Nebraska transfer. Wandell Robinson, he was one of the best players the last two seasons in Nebraska. He's got two seasons left to play. He left Nebraska, announced that he's headed to Kentucky. I believe he's already signed. So to my knowledge, he's already signed, sealed, and delivered. This guy had uh, almost 1,500 total yards of offense during his two seasons there. 580 rushing, 914 receiving, and 14 touchdowns for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. He was formally rated as the number one overall prospect from Kentucky, I believe, in the 2019 recruiting cycle. He was committed to Kentucky. Last-minute decision flipped on Nebraska to play for Scott Frost. He's corrected his mistake here. We can we can love this guy again, Kentucky fans, because Wondell Robinson's coming back, and you know he's going to fit a huge position of need. We know how loaded Kentucky is at running back. You know, I think... He's going to play primarily in the slot here for Nebraska. So this would be a huge pickup. We need help at the receiver position. We're going to our new spread. I don't know if it's going to be a spread, but more open passing attack of an offense. Hopefully, praying. I'm praying to hear that Kentucky, we open it up here. But you you can't. That's, that's one thing you can say, and it sounds great. And, yeah, we're going to throw it all over the yard. You can't do it if you don't have weapons. And Wando Robinson is a weapon. This is a... You know, these are the pieces you need to make that transition. But hey, that's not that's not all I've got from Kentucky because old Mark Stoops was on Kentucky Sports Radio on Tuesday. And man, Stoops never misses a chance to take a shot at Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt. Ask Coach if he saw the Tennessee thing coming and if we're going to go after any of their recruits now. <clears throat> um, I want to be a little bit... Uh... Uh, like Ryan here, a little bit politically correct. You know? <laughs> the best way to play it, coach. <laughs> See, that's a lot of experience with yeah. you, right? I mean, I, you know, I got to be, um, you know, 
careful in my response here. Um, did I see it coming? Yes, I'm grateful it came. I, I, did, did I, does it surprise me? Not one bit. Gotcha. You know, <laughs> uh, does it? I think that says it all, right? Does it? Does it change? Like, I mean, you guys end up recruiting against some of the same for some of the same guys. Not a lot, but some yeah. of them. Does it change now? Like, do, do do you guys sit there and go, "Oh, maybe there's some openings that I didn't have yesterday that maybe we have today." Yeah, and we were smart in in this uh, class as well to try to save some room for transfers because it's just a different climate right now. And so, um, you know, both with recruits and with um, do you transfers. still think you may get some more? Uh, there's a chance. Yes, okay. we will. I, I, I'd say we will between now and next year, whether gotcha. it's whether it's right now at the at the at the break or if it's after in May. All right, so there you have it from uh, Coach, and he didn't mention any names. Credit him, you know, he didn't want to. No violation here, but uh, wouldn't be stunned if uh, you know a player or two from Tennessee's roster goes to Kentucky. Specifically, thinking of a guy maybe like Jimmy Callaway, the receiver, almost went to Kentucky. Uh, that would be another addition that Kentucky needs to to kind of spice up this offense and have targets so we'll see what happens there I'm not saying I have no information that he's going to Kentucky he's leaving Tennessee so I don't want to put that out there and everyone run with it but you know Stoops I don't even know if he was talking about Tennessee necessarily but clearly that question was about Tennessee and man he everyone's jumping on Tennessee's grave at the moment and uh you can't blame him for doing it all right, last thing here. Let's uh, jump on down to Fayetteville. Woo pig! Because we got the Razorback return party. We got one more added to the boat. Linebacker Hayden Henry was not expected to return. He has announced he's coming back. He's a big special teams guy for the Razorbacks. Yeah, he's starting to play a lot more on defense now that uh, he's a veteran. Maybe getting a better feel for Coach Barry Odom's defense. And if you've lost track, I mean, my God, I'm going to list off the seniors here that are returning for Arkansas. All-SEC first-teamer, Grant Morgan, the linebacker, both starting offensive tackles, Myron Cunningham, Ty Clary, receiver Devon Warren, tight end Blake Kern, receiver running back T.J. Hammonds, defensive back Deion Edwards, defensive lineman Dorian Gerald. My God, that's a lot of pieces coming back for Sam Pittman's team next season and a big reason why i'm kind of high on the hogs and remember all these guys they get to come back because the ncaa gave everybody a free year of eligibility if they won it for the 2020 season none of these guys count against the 85 man scholarship limit so in theory arkansas could have about 95 you know close to 100 scholarship guys next year i don't I'm not saying they will because I think they were below the numbers. So, you know, I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't know how it's going to work out. But I'm just saying, theoretically, they could have the 85 plus all these guys. None of them count. And it doesn't hurt the recruiting of freshmen or, or JUCOs or transfers or anything. So this is nothing but an added bonus for the Arkansas Razorbacks. The podcast is also sponsored by Justin Hamilton over at the Federal Savings Bank Dot com. Head on over there, talk to Justin, make sure you let him know the guys over at That SEC Podcast sent you. There's no better time than now to refinance or buy a home with interest rates lower than ever. Hit up our guy Justin over at the Federal Savings Bank. And this is a guy that uh, actually saved Cousin Joe 
over $400 a month on his mortgage. If you got any questions at all about Justin Hamilton and what he can do for you at the Federal Savings Bank, he's licensed in all 50 states to help you out. Reach out to us. More than happy to answer any question you got. We've also put a link to Justin's website at the Federal Savings Bank dot com in the show notes so head on down there reach out to justin if you're looking to buy a home or refinance your home and again make sure to tell him the guys from that sec podcast sent you he'll hook you up all right so uh, now let's kick it over to our interview kind of spieled on long enough here jesse simonton formerly of VolQuest sec country and the miami herald he's covered a number of teams in the sec i asked him a lot of tennessee questions but i also asked him uh, some some SEC stuff, some recruiting stuff. So I think fans will really enjoy this one. All right, we're pleased now to be joined by uh, Jesse Simonton, huge fan of this guy. You got to give him a follow on the Twitters at Jesse R E Simonton, and that will be in the show notes. And of course, he's a former Miami Herald, SEC country, and Ball Quest veteran. Jesse, thanks for joining the show. I really do appreciate you. Absolutely, Michael. Thanks for uh, having me on to. To talk the craziness that is Tennessee. <laughs> well, hey, it's uh, it's like Groundhog Day because once again Tennessee scrambling, no coach, no AD. What in the hell's going on at Tennessee? I know you you're a guy that's uh, you know, you covered multiple SEC programs here, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on why in the hell can Tennessee not get you know back to what they were, and and, and why is it that it seems like they're in this spot every couple of years well i think part of the problem is that it's just it it certainly seems like it's a never you know never ending existential crisis within tennessee's own foundation and and by that i mean uh you hear the phrase a lot there's too many cooks in the kitchen or that you know this booster fraction that booster fraction The, the biggest problem that tennessee has right now in comparison to let's just say its rivals whether we're talking about alabama uh georgia Although, you know, some of the stuff that's happening with Dan Mullen, even Florida, everyone, you know, is kind of positioned together at those schools. And at Tennessee, you always seem to have so many people pulling in various directions uh, that ultimately your foundation is just not on solid footing. And eventually it's going to crater. And for the Vols, it just seems to crater every two to three, you know, four years. And so now they're looking at their fifth head coach um, in, in, you know, what is it like since 2009, which is just absurd. And how do you, I mean, do you have any idea how how do you get everybody on the same page when it's uh you know same shit different day? But uh, you know, and and I think you make a good point. But I'm curious because I've heard that before, but I just don't know that anyone's got an answer on on how to push everybody in the right direction. Well, I, the, the the problem I would say, Mike, is that it all you know it seems like Tennessee is is in this like never ending you know Nietzsche novel. But we haven't seen what the nadir is. This might finally be the nadir. And I say that because we all know that, that Fulmer will forever be lore uh, in Knoxville. And he was, you know, ceremoniously allowed to retire. Um, but he was clearly, you know, nudged out because he was handcuffed to Jeremy. That was his guy. And that was the guy that Fulmer was tied in with, you know, behind the scenes, names that are, that are easy for Tennessee fans you know, to go and Google in terms of some of the power brokers there. Um, but it was clear from day one, especially in my opinion, that, that Philip was not AD material. They gave Philip, you know, a bonus and, and an extension, 
you know, quietly a couple months ago, completely needlessly. Philip Fulmer was not going to be an athletics director anywhere else. He wasn't going anywhere. He didn't, you know, I'm not sure what exactly had been done to warrant um, such a thing other than the fact that he was Philip Fulmer. And so I think it kind of starts there. And that's why the head coaching job at Tennessee and, and who, you know, is a candidate and the rumors and that kind of stuff, that's going to generate the most interest from fans. But really it's going to be who is that guy's boss. And how can that guy basically build the boat and get it actually pointed in the right direction? You know, Fulmer loved to use all these boat metaphors and all that stuff. And then Jeremy goes, and it was a year, it was the, my last season covering the balls, 2019, or full season, because I was there in the spring this past year. But 2019, when he, right before the Florida game, he used the whole Titanic metaphor. Um, well, the Titanic sunk in three hours. This thing's been going on for obviously, you know, 15 some odd years at Tennessee. Whoever they hire at AD has to be the guy that I think kind of puts his foot down and says, this is how we're going to do it, and then get the guy that he can work in concert um, to be a successful head coach. Now, you made an interesting comment uh, after, I think it was on Monday when Pruitt was out, but uh, you noted that you know if he was a very successful coach at Tennessee, you think he'd still be there. Can you expound a little bit on uh, just why you think that? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, let's just uh, let's just go to the most recent history. Look at what's going on with Will Wade at, at LSU. I mean, you know, the 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 links there to in terms of impropriety um, are obvious, and they just won the SEC a year ago, and so his administration is standing behind him. So I, I just think that you know what what we'll find out, you know, in due time. And there's been plenty of rumblings and rumors about what exactly transpired in terms of malfeasance and, and, you know, what sort of level one or level two uh, sanctions come down the pike here. But the reality is, and you and I both know this, Mike, that, you know, being around this league and and covering the various teams and talking to a lot of people behind the scenes, the same stuff happens everywhere. But it it is almost, I heard someone say it's almost procedural how Tennessee screwed this stuff. And I think that's a good way to put it uh, because, you know, if the procedures were better, if you kind of had your ducks in a row more, um, then then the likelihood that this gets, you know, sniffed out if you're winning becomes, I think, clearly, you know, reduced there. So if Tennessee wasn't getting trounced by Kentucky, if they hadn't, you know, gotten just boat raced by Missouri uh, before, you know, if that kind of stuff hadn't been on Jeremy's resume, folks sniffing around internally especially um, are much more apt you know, just say, hey, you know, we got a good thing going here. So let's, uh, we're, we're going to look left instead of looking right. Now, I want to take you back to, I think, uh, the most infamous day in Tennessee sports history, at least in my lifetime, the Shiano Sunday. And you had an interesting exchange recently with uh, Dan Wolken, and we all know his connection to all that. But, uh, you know, he kind of pointed out that he likes to have fun with Vol Twitter and, and blaming them for Pruitt's hire and, you pushed back a little bit on that, and, and obviously you're a lot closer to the situation than, than he w- was because you got boots on the ground and you were covering the team. But uh, what was all, all that like, covering Tennessee on Shiano Sunday, and and why did you feel the need to kind of push back on, on the narrative that uh, Vol Twitter was the one that hired Pruitt? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because Dan has a obviously has a uh, interesting spot um, with, with several fan bases, mainly mainly Vault Twitter and and you know Forty and and some other guys that I know are kind of in that category as well. 
and I think to me the biggest issue is that there's been this narrative built um, that Vol Twitter is the reason why Jeremy Pruitt was hired, and that's not the case. Now, clearly, uh, and I, I even wrote this that that like after that day that you know that the revolt on Rocky Top, you know, this is going to be like a future thirty for thirty, you know, how Vol Twitter sacked Shiano. Vault Twitter obviously did play a huge impact in Reed and, and some of those guys, you know, in Knoxville um, for lifting up their voices. But there was politicians involved. I mean, there was people, you know, power players um, within the Tennessee um, at former athletic, you know, program that were involved. Um, but there's been this narrative created that somehow they're drawing a straight line from Shiano not getting the job to now Jeremy being hired and fired. Now, Clearly, Chiano not you know not getting the job left a void there. But John Curry, and this is kind of my issue with Dan, is that you know he has a relationship with John, and I get that this business it's a relationship business, and so that was a source for him. You know he he had the the whole Chiano uh, to Tennessee, and I think that's part of the issue here is that you know he, he thought he had broken that story, and then he gets recanted. And but Curry, I was the one that asked John Curry the question in the press conference. I think it was about a week prior, maybe four days prior to the whole Shiano deal um, when he held a press conference and he gave like the big, you remember the big Grinch? I, I, it was almost like a Grinch smirk. Oh, yeah. About, uh, I asked a question about John Gruden. Um, and that was like one of many instances, both publicly and privately, where Curry basically fanned the flames or refuse, or you could view it two ways, either fan the groomers or refused to put out the flame. Uh, and he seemed to think, and he clearly was wrong, that allowing that to fester was going to somehow provide some smoke screen for this guy that he and Peyton Manning and others, you know, believe to be the correct choice. Um, and so for some reason, Wolken and 40, you know, they, they, don't ever, they don't ever mention that part. And I think to me, from someone that covered the entire thing, um, that, that's frustrating because that, that, that you're not telling the whole story. What, what, Tennessee did, what the Tennessee fans and the Vault Twitter and all that, they certainly played a part um, in kind of the uncertainty that they are still feeling as a program today. Uh, but they are not solely to blame at all and to give – Curry a pass, who then his actions after the Shiano deal became completely haphazard, where he was just kind of get, being played by other agents, whether it was Gundy's agent, whether it was Doran's agent, you know, whatever happened with Jeff Brom. I mean, we go through all the different things, even before you get to the 11th hour, you know, when he thinks he has a deal with Mike Leach and, and then Fulmer and his boys kind of, you know, pull their deal. Uh, so that that's kind of what I get frustrated about when I see this stuff with, with Dan and some others where it's easy to just write a column to say that, like, the Tennessee's fan base is too toxic. Well, you know what? There are certainly, and you could probably attest to this because you've seen these guys on Twitter too, There's, there are certainly some bad seeds there. But I, I can tell you to a, a, you know, to a coach, if you ask some folks, they'd much rather have kind of a, a crazed, supportive fan base than a, than a school like UCLA where no one really cares, you know. And, mm -hmm. and you, might have some, you might have some history there. You might have some storied, you know, seasons in your past, but if you have a fan base that's checked out, that's when your program's not going to rebound. So at least Tennessee has the fan base. Now they just got to get everything else right. 
And what are your thoughts on uh, just Kevin Steele? Because, you know, I've always had a ton of respect for this guy. I think he's a, you know, really good coordinator, really good recruiter. He's worked at half the damn schools in the SEC. And I know the casual fan, this is not a guy that they want leading the Tennessee program. But the way I look at him at this point, I mean, I I look at Tennessee almost like Ole Miss was a couple years ago when Hugh Freeze got pushed out and there was uh, sanctions looming and, and scholarship reductions and just not an attractive job. I don't think Tennessee is going to be an attractive job until they get all that figured out. And I think they need someone to stabilize it and just kind of ride it out, see if he can coach. If he can't, you know, you get his replacement in a year or two, whenever the sanctions come to an end. But uh, what are your thoughts on, on that and, and Kevin Steele? I mean, well, clear, clearly Kevin's a hell of a defensive coordinator. I mean, I think he saved Gus's job uh, probably on more than one occasion in the last couple of years. Now, his the fact that it, we got a whole palace intrigue deal or what happened at Auburn, and now he's at Tennessee, and he's boys with Fulmer. And I know that Kevin and Pruitt, you know, go way back, and Pruitt was a GA for him, and that's what Kevin's selling to Tennessee's team as we speak. You know, they had a big team meeting, I believe, yesterday, and you know, he's out there telling them that, you know, look, Jeremy and I are a lot alike. I'm just older, you know, give me a shot. Um, but this certainly seems like this was kind of a contingency plan from the players behind the scenes when you have an alleged hiring freeze and then Kevin's allowed to get a job uh, and and suddenly, you know, a week later, Jeremy's out. As a future head coach, I think that he is clearly a candidate. I mean, he was a guy that uh, – Philip was very close to hiring. I mean, Philip liked all three. You know, when it came down, Philip really liked Jeremy. He really liked Mel Tucker um, then at Georgia, and he really liked Kevin Steele. And I think part of the issue then was that there was a bit of a good, too much of a good old boy. You know, how many of these guys are you going to bring back? And the irony is, is that that may happen anyway. So if you know, uh, if Kevin is the guy, and, and Rodney Garner is still out there, you, you, I would certainly imagine he comes back to Tennessee again. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I think the big thing, and again, I'm not on the ground anymore, but kind of talk, just talking to some folks who are, and just kind of knowing um, the future, because I did have a little, when I was at Valkwest, I certainly worked uh, some with Austin Price, you know, on the recruiting side. 2022 is a huge recruiting um, class for the Tennessee in terms of in-state talent. Um, and it is about as talented as they've probably had, I guess, maybe since what, what was the 2018 class with Cade and some of those guys. Uh, but they can't afford to miss. And it's not just Ty Simpson. He, he is obviously kind of the, the holy grail in terms for Tennessee fans. But there's a lot of guys that they need to keep in state. And so I do think if they ultimately determine that, hey, this NCAA stuff's not going to happen for a while, you know, we're not going to know anything. They better take that interim tag off Kevin sooner than later. And Kevin's a good recruiter. I mean, he was a guy that was in charge of, you know, Saban's personnel at, at Alabama. So recruiting shouldn't be an issue. He's obviously going to have to upgrade some of the, you know, Tennessee's only an O-line coach and some other stuff there. Uh, but if you don't go that route, I think you're looking at it's going to be really hard. I don't think you're going to get a Billy Napier. You know, he, he's a guy that has a binder of expectations from what I heard for any job that he wants. So I don't see that happening with the uncertainty. So do you, do you get a gym, you know, uh, Chadwell and, and give him a seven year contract, whatever it is, I think that they need to eye that 2022 class in terms of, we can't just punt on that. So is still going to be our guy. Like you mentioned, 
maybe it's a short-term contract and then we'll see what happens or do we pull the plug quickly and say hey let's go you know because i do think the ad hire is probably going to happen um probably sooner than later but then it's how slow do they play the next step because do they really wait out you know what they hear from the ncaa Mm -hmm. now obviously you've covered other teams in the sec and you got uh you know, your finger on the pulse at uh, just as the conference overall. So in long-time recruiting expert analyst, whatever you want to call it, and I don't want you to burn any coaches or, or players. Obviously, last thing we want to do is get anyone in trouble, but just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, how prevalent is cheating in recruiting in based on your experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, again, I think it, it's something that is uh, – you can you can use it as a term whether it's the speed limit or however you want to you know whatever kind of euphemism you want to use everyone's kind of going over it um but it's how brazen do you want to be now the silly you know dan patrick's chicken nuggets you know happy meal deal or whatever i i don't you know dan seems to be trying to get a lot of play out of out of one source and i'm not sure how well sourced that one source is uh you know, I know Wes Rucker and some others, you know, that are on the ground there are talking about how mad some folks behind the scenes are. And, you know, they haven't objected to any of the other stuff that's been out there. And yet they, they really push back on that. You saw, you know, Dan threw out Georgia's uh, name, I guess, the first time um, 10 days ago or so. And, and Georgia, which almost never responds to anything, you know, immediately came out with their compliance people. And like, no one, there is no investigation or nothing is being looked at or anything. Uh, so the reality is, though, is that clearly there is, you know, um, some chicanery that happens behind the scenes, but it's happening everywhere. And, and that's kind of the thing. Now, it's happening to varying degrees. And again, it's kind of like a speed limit thing. As long as you're staying within the speed limit, so to speak, most folks aren't objecting. But if you're being super brazen or you're trying to you know, act like you're on the Audubon, um, it becomes a different deal. And, and I think that that's, you know, uh, where you can get into some hot water. And and look, I mean, when's the last time that, again, we're saying that this is fairly prevalent. When's the last time, a, you know, in terms of like impermissible benefits even became a deal? And it was Hugh Free sort of, but that, you know, it was more of kind of the moral stuff that ultimately got him in trouble that then, in, you know, kind of sent everyone down that rabbit hole. Uh, so this is not something that a lot of folks go sniffing for. And that's why I, I do think that, you know, if you, if you can stay around 75, 80, you're going to be just fine. But when you're trying to gun it, um, whether you think you're having to play catch up or whether you're just, you know, getting sloppy at the wheel, that that's when trouble is going to come to your door. All right. So we got an opening at Tennessee, maybe a while before we get that head coaching position field. But uh, what are your thoughts, the three uh, SEC hires we've got here? South Carolina hired Shane Beamer, Auburn hired Brian Harson, and Vanderbilt hired Clark Lee. Which one of those hires do you like the most? I would. The irony is I probably think Clark Lee is probably in the best position to succeed. Now, obviously, success at Vanderbilt means something totally different than success at Auburn. Um, and even success in South Carolina, uh, I have not been, I haven't been particularly overwhelmed with the staff, uh, that either Shane or, 
you know, Harston has put together. I do like Derek. I think Derek Mason is a very good defensive coordinator, so I think that's a strong hire. Bobo, you know, had – it's funny that, you know, people do forget that Bobo did kind of engineer some, some really explosive offenses with Aaron Murray um, at Georgia. Uh, so we'll see. But some of the other guys kind of around there, you know, Rockers is, is a solid, solid, you know, technician coach. We'll see about recruiting. Um, Will Friend kind of had a better uh, resume before he got to Tennessee. And then, you know, um, there was clearly some issues there uh, with terms of development. So I, the Shane Beamer thing, that that, that one, um, you know, I thought Caldwell was right there for, for the taking for South Carolina. Uh, it it kind of, to me, that's kind of a shrug your shoulder uh, deal. I mean, the, the reality is, is that both those guys um, likely could be wrong could be wrong both those guys likely just got a huge paycheck um that'll set up their family Shane Beamer obviously comes from a family that's got plenty of money anyways but you know this is going to set up their family for some nice wealth uh for the next you know many many decades and it's probably going to be the only you know the last head coaching job they get because the likelihood is is that that's a, that's a job you take and then get fired which is why someone like Billy Napier wasn't going to go that route mm-hmm now, it's interesting you, you mentioned Clark Lee because that kind of leads into my next question. Uh, Barton Simmons, formerly of uh, 24-7, now hired as the, the GM, director of scouting, I think they're calling it there at Vanderbilt. Very unusual, you know, a, you know, a unique move. I think Vanderbilt, you kind of have to be a little bit unique. you got to think outside the box. Just wanted to get your thoughts because you kind of come from that same industry a little bit. Uh, what do you think about Barton Simmons taking over that job at Vanderbilt? Well, I don't. I don't know Barton personally, but from what I've read, it certainly seems like their connection uh, had a lot to do with that. In terms of uh, this, is something that I, I, it sounds like he's probably been approached before about this, but he kind of needed the perfect storm. Um, where him being from Nashville, wanting to stay in Nashville, uh, having a relationship that he and you know Clark Lee played um, together at Montgomery Bell Academy. Uh, clearly, I mean, Barton, you know, is someone that is uh, renowned in the recruiting industry because of his success at 24-7 and, and you know, being the scouting director. And, and, and you know, he's, he's a guy that has been to a ton of camps and has an eye for talent. So uh, roster building um, is, is, is something that's going to be in his purview. The most interesting thing is, for, my, for me, is did this kind of start a trend on this whole general manager deal I'm blanking on the guy's name. You may remember it's Austin. What's the guy's name? Austin Thomas. Uh, he was at LSU. Austin Thomas. Yeah. Um, and I've talked to Austin several times before, but I just blanked on his name there. But you know, Austin was kind of the first one to do this. Uh, did it at LSU, and now he's at Texas A&M. Um, I, I do wonder if you kind of see this position more, uh, and it's mainly because of what may be happening with the transfer portal just in terms of you almost need even more infrastructure to be prepared for that. So it's not so much just about, you know, what is our path for the 2022, 2023, 2024 recruiting classes? Uh, you know, how do we, you know, manage this transfer portal and, and kind of the, the challenges that, you know, positively and negatively that comes from that. So um, Barton's going to have a lot on his plate and whoever, you know, else, what other programs decide to kind of emulate that position, I think could do so um, from that perspective, because Vanderbilt still hired a recruiting director. He just reports to Barton Simmons. uh, And I think that's kind of the same way that, 
that, you know, LSU operated with Austin. So, and Tennessee kind of explored that, you know, but Austin didn't end up at, uh, with the Vols several years ago when Jeremy was first hired. So, but I, it should, that, that's kind of where my brain goes with that whole uh, deal. But as in terms of just Clark Lee as a coach, I didn't want to just comment on that. I think he's a great fit for Vanderbilt. Um, and if they can kind of, much like Tennessee, or they're just with a lot less uh, visible. The Batman light hasn't just been hasn't been spotlighted on them um, like it has at, at, in Knoxville. Vanderbilt's had some dysfunction behind the scenes too, and so if they can kind of get their administration with the new AD and some other folks all pulling in the same direction, there's some potential there because there's plenty of talent um, in the Nashville and the surrounding you know metro area. They're not going to compete for championships, so to speak, but I do think they can kind of elevate. Uh, and maybe kind of move up in that pecking order um, of the SEC. There's no reason I don't think that they can be, you know, better than Missouri um, and at least on a footing with a team like South Carolina. All right, I want to get you out of here with uh, two quick recruiting questions. Who's the best prospect that you've ever covered? You know, someone that you've seen in person that, you know, just my guy, the first guy that comes to your mind is just being a just an absolute freak on the field. Uh well, this is this is gonna be this is gonna sound like I'm like playing to to your audience here because it's you know Tennessee slanted, um, but for the it's a guy that plays for the Titans. I mean, I you know again I went to Florida. I I started my career covering Florida. Um, Derek Henry. Uh, I was not actually really doing much any, really any recruiting coverage hardly at all um, back then, but he uh, was a guy I did see play um, in high school and. The, the guy, the guy's stats have been rattled off, you know, a million times on how many 300 yard games and stuff. He was just, he, he was every bit the monster monster meme that you see, you know, with him standing next to Mark Ingram in the national championship game. Uh, that's been passed around a bunch of times throughout the years. He was insane at Yuli. And, and so uh, he, he has to take the cake for me. He was just unbelievable. I've you know, um, in recent years, uh, what what Fields did at, at some camps um, was kind of absurd, uh, and and he's another guy that's just like yeah, um, he is not he's got you know just immense immense athletic ability. But but Derrick Henry takes the cake for me. All right, how about uh, last one? Straight. What's the strangest recruitment that you've ever covered? Because there's so many weird stories out there. It, it just what's the one that uh, that stands out in your mind? Oh man, you're putting me on the spot here now. Uh, strangest recruitment. There was some. There was some pretty odd ones with uh back in the day with with Butch, um, and I I I don't I don't know I don't, I can't say I want to out one one particular person, but just some of the mechanisms of uh the the necessity to chase stars Mm -hmm. was just kind of so absurdly comical at times. Um, And the irony is, is that some of the people that work behind the scenes are actually pretty good. And, and, you know, there's some guys, you know, Bob Welton's at Alabama and it has been very successful, you know, again, but kind of some of the steps that, that Tennessee took uh, back in in kind of the latter stages of Butch's days were, were, were rather comical. Like uh, Kongbo and the, uh, the ice cream cone. That's a good one. That was actually the right before uh, I got to Tennessee, but that that that's one that 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 lives down. Um, I mean, and this isn't even like a stranger, but, but folks would be so surprised that you know how many guys that Tennessee has screwed up on in terms of you know 
letting the string play out uh, because they didn't think they were good enough for guys in state, and then those guys go on and um, and whether it was a Jacob Phillips, you know, or, or or Jacoby Stevens, two guys who ended up at LSU, and and certainly those are those are hardly the only ones, but those are two big ones. Where Tennessee just kind of shrugged and like, ah, we don't think those guys are good enough, and and you know that 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 came to bite them quite quite hard. All right, I've taken up enough of your time. He's Jesse Simonton. Give him a follow at Jesse R E Simonton. That's in the show notes right there. Thanks again, Jesse. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely, Mike. Appreciate you having me on. All right, just want to say thanks once again to Jesse Simonton. You can follow him, like I said, at Jesse R E Simonton. You can find that in the show notes if you want to give him a follow. I highly recommend it. But uh, you know, I really appreciate him hopping on and, and giving us some knowledge and. And I hope that, uh, you know, Tennessee and SEC fans really got something from that. He's a guy that's uh, covered that Tennessee program for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, I I think he dropped some good knowledge there for us on that one. But, uh, hey, that's going to do it on this episode. I feel like my uh, voice is, I'm losing my voice here without uh, Cousin Shane to carry me on this one. You know, I'm kind of hoping that his PlayStation 5 is defective and it doesn't work. Of course, that's about the only way we're going to get him back. But if it was defective, I think he would have reached out to me by now. I think he's he's probably a couple hours into it. He may quit his job. We may never see him again. But uh, if not, you may be stuck with me. Hopefully, let's you know, let's pray that doesn't happen. But uh, all right, I'm spieling on long enough here. But uh, hey, if you made it this far, as always, if you wouldn't mind giving us that five star written review, we also got uh, you know all the merchandise that can also be found. In our show notes there over at Tee Public, we got t-shirts, coffee mugs, we got COVID masks. I mean, we got it all here. Whatever merchandise you could want, Tee Public's got you guys covered with uh, any and every SEC podcast stuff. So I really appreciate everybody hopping on. Really appreciate Jesse Simonton joining the show. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed this one. Take care, guys. We'll catch you on the next one.